All right, Mike, you ready? <laughs> I'm going to let you do the honors. Um, we actually have a basket that's fuller than last time. Oh, we got one more. Go get, go grab that, and then. Yeah, and then go ahead and Mike, if you can send that to Betsy, and then and then pick one out, and then we'll read it. A while. I just used my Lancaster accent. Did you hear that? A while. Only they say that. I know. Isn't it crazy? Thank. Uh, thank you. Yep. Good. First one. What do we got? Will Christians see the tribulation? Will Christians see the tribulation is the question. Go ahead, Mike. I'll let you take this one. Ha. Okay. Will Christians see the tribulation? Um, at, for those of you that may not be aware, there are at least three different tribulation understandings. They are, if I get this right, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib kind of theologies. I, and I think most of us, will hold to uh, Christians will not see the tribulation. And I base my understanding, uh, a lot of this comes out of the uh, first and second Thessalonians. I don't know. Pastor and I disagree on other stuff, so we'll probably disagree on this one too. I've never disagreed with you, ever. <laughs> All right, so let me go to First Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. For the, for, uh, let's see. The fancy word called eschatology. Anybody ever hear that before? Has to do with the time, like sequence, timing of stuff. End times. Okay, eschatology. Alright, <clears throat> because I say Christians will not see the tribulation means I hold to the theology that Christians will be raptured before the tribulation arrives on this planet. And that comes out of chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians, um, verses 1 through... Uh, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Is everybody familiar with the term rapture? Everybody hear that? Is everybody aware that that word, English word rapture, does not appear in the... Scripture, right? What is uh, known or translated as rapture is actually, I think, the Greek raptura. Help. Okay. Well, anyway, the argument that I've confronted or I've also encountered, hey, there can't be a rapture because rapture is not in the Bible. Well, if that is your argument, guess what other word is not in the Bible that is commonly used? And that's called trinity. All right, well, now there you go. That's Latin. The raptor is in there, too, and I know that's Latin. Um, okay, so 
the I know I've gone on from a uh, without getting into all of the pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib theology. Will Christians see the tribulation? Mike says no, because Christians will be absent from this earth, raptured before the tribulation arrives. Now, <clears throat> go ahead, Sue. Now you're, no. Those who are alive. Those who are alive. Those who have passed. Okay, now remember, now we're going to get into a discussion about the resurrection. Okay. Here's something else that we all have to know or realize. As I'm looking at you and you're looking at me, I don't see you and you don't see me. All you see is the vessel I occupy and all I see is the vessel you occupy. Your body, my body. When your body is uh, buried, uh, cremated, buried at sea, exploded into, you know, atomic dust, um, God is going to resurrect, there's going to be another resurrection. And at that point, uh, these bodies will uh, be reunited with our spirits, our souls. Okay, resurrection. That's separate from the rapture. And that is Mike's understanding. Your turn. Um, all right, so we're talking about eschatology. Uh, I say I don't know. Um, and the reason why I don't know is because Revelation is a very complicated book. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever, you know, sat down and read through it all, but there's at least three different schools of interpretation on how to interpret the book to begin with. Um, there's the uh, idealist school, there's so many, there's a few others. And then you also have the problem of, okay, is it premillennialism? Is it amillennialism? Is it postmillennialism? There's a bunch of them. Um, and as I read it, I, I reject one, I reject postmillennialism. Do I agree with pre tribulation dispensationalism? I don't know. One day I will, and then the next day I won't. It's kind of like uh, Age of the Earth, for example. Uh, one day, I'll be an old earth creationist, and then I'll be a young earth creationist, and I'll flip-flop, and I'll be like, oh, that could be true, oh, that could be true. And I just don't know. Um, and I think it's, it's written in the apocalyptic literature, and because it's written apocalyptically, it's, it is just naturally hard to understand. <laughs> um, and that's the way God wanted it. Uh, I, I mean, sometimes we kind of focus on, okay, how, how is Christ going to return and all that? But Jesus himself says in Matthew... You're not going to know when I'm going to return. I don't know when I'm going to return. And so sometimes we can get so focused on, let's say, Revelation and taking that and saying, okay, that's how it's going to be, um, that we don't recognize it's still a grand mystery. I know Jesus is going to return. That much I know. How, what way I could go, I don't know. The day depends on what I actually believe with that. Um, 
But I do know 100% Jesus will return. Will, will there be a tribulation? Will there not be a tribulation? Will there, will it, if the tribulation does come, will the rapture happen before, in the middle, or after? I, don't, I just simply can't say yes, definitely. I know this is for sure. Um, so that's my answer. I do not know. I, I don't. Be aware that every believer since Jesus Christ had lived with the expectation and the promise that Jesus Christ is coming back. And it could be tomorrow. You know, so from way back then, Scripture has provided us with the promise that it's going to happen. And we are not the first generation to contemplate, hey, when is it going to happen? Or how is it going to be? Um, it's been 2,000 years that every Christian has thought about it. it <clears throat> for 2,000 years, every generation has had a moment when they say Jesus is going to return. Um, that's, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and it makes me think, you know, 1,000 1, A.D., for example, so 1,000 years after Christ, there was a huge movement in the church that said, okay, it's 1,000 years, it's going to happen. Didn't happen. Reformation, when Martin Luther died, everyone swore... It was going to happen because Martin Luther was the last great prophet. He saved the church from itself. 500 years later, we're celebrating the 500th anniversary of the Reformation this year. We're still here. <laughs> uh, so it, it's every generation has it. We've all seen all the promise, all the things of, you know, rumors of war. And we look at it, we say, oh, there, there's rumors of war, therefore it's going to happen. Well, we've had war for as long as sin has been around. Um, and so, it, yeah, it's just very complicated in my mind. I will add one other thing, and that is, who's familiar with the, uh, I, I, I don't remember if it was just a book series or a TV series series called Left Behind? There were three movies and about 18 books. Okay. I take great issue with the, one of the prevailing things in that book, of course, or, or in that series. And that series is based on the premise of, uh, okay, raptures happen, and the world's in the Great Tribulation, and all of a sudden there's some people looking at each other, and then uh, when I say some people, adult people, as if there's an expectation or an ability to have a second chance at salvation after the rapture occurs during the tribulation period. We know that people are going to be saved during the tribulation. Scripture says so. My great issue that I take with that comes uh, specifically out of the book of Second Thessalonians, which has to do with this topic and has to do with the removal of uh, the uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit as far as holding back the or containing or restraining Satan. But anyway, what I want to share with you, if you wanted to write this down, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 11. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. The context of this is the rapture's occurred, the world's in tribulation. Second Thessalonians says uh, they're all going to believe a lie. 
point is, we know people are going to be saved during tribulation. So who's that going to be? People are going to be born during the tribulation. Babies. But everyone who is at that age of accountability, who has rejected the opportunity for salvation through Christ, is going to be uh, uh, under a deluding influence so that they will believe what is false. So, other than those that are less than the age of accountability, and I think we talked about that before, or those who are born during what we call the tribulation period, would be the only candidates for salvation during that time period. Because everyone else is going to believe a lie. And they will experience judgment. That's a significant different that's significantly different than what you're going to see in that Left Behind series. And I take great issue with that. And, there's great, and that reinforces the great danger of believing, without question, anything that's seen, read, whatever, without comparing directly with the Word of God. It also gets into, make no mistake... The uh, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib. Good, I shouldn't say good Christian. There is no such thing as a good Christian. Did you know that? Uh, There's no such thing as a good Christian. We're all sinners saved by grace. Um, Anyway, the point is, uh, I I think that that particular series caused great harm. Promoting the possibility that, hey, you'll have a second chance. If you don't make the first, you don't make it the first time, you'll have a second chance. Mm. No. Let's do another question. Uh, Pick one hand to me. All right. Are the Arabs descendants of Ishmael or Esau? Technically, I would I lean toward Ishmael. Um, it would technically, it, it would it would I would say Ishmael. If if I mean I think that they themselves hold to that view anyway that it's Ishmael because Ishmael was promised a great inheritance, um, despite being rejected by Abram, Abraham and Sarah, um, and so that's that that he was given that inheritance. I do, I do believe that the Arabs are part of that. I, Offshoot. I I don't, is, there, is there any other question about that? I, I never even considered that the Arabs were descendants of Esau. No, I, no I, I'm fairly certain that Esau's descendants actually settled in a different place. They settled more south of Israel, Judah, whereas the Arabs went more <laughs> east than south, um, as far as I'm aware. So. Yeah, well, not even in the right generation. No, there's two, yeah. Ishmael goes, is it, well, he's a, he would technically be a grand, great grand uncle or stepbrother of Isaac, of Isaac. And so Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and then Jacob. And it was Jacob, (laughs) Jacob and 
Jacob and Esau. So um, that's, I would say Ishmael. That's what Ishmael, I would say. Ishmael, final answer. Ishmael, final answer. All right. Uh, next one. Hey, that was an easier one. Thank you. <laughs> In my mind, it was easier. Um, where did Adam and Eve's children get their spouses? You can have one. Oh. <laughs> where did Adam and Eve's children get their spouses? You know what? I'm not sure if I know how I'm going to answer this. First of all, I guess one thing we could say is <clears throat> there were, besides Seth and uh, uh, Cain, Abel, Seth, there were other daughters, other children. And if they would have uh, married into bread among themselves, the same genetic problem that we acknowledge today as far as being, you know, marrying within families would not have been a problem back then because Adam and Eve being first of creation, the, there would not have been the, the genetic screw-ups that, that occur, I guess, you know, with interbreeding. So, I don't know, unless there was, a scripture doesn't say that there were, that there could not have been other people created at the same time. Uh, uh, something we have to understand, too, is that when it comes to, let's say, you know, marrying your sister and all that, that, that's in the law. The law doesn't come until until Moses. Until Moses. So it wasn't prohibited at that point. Um, And so that's the way that I understand it. It's not prohibited. Chances are that they just kept on having babies. They kept on getting married or having more babies with each other. And then there you go. There's the human race. And if they're living for 900 years, you figure that could actually really greatly cause it to grow. But then again, you have the problem too of Noah anyway. Because if Noah and the flood happened, then after Noah and his family, who did they marry? <laughs> and so you have the same problem with Noah as you do with Adam and Eve. Um, so I would say, granted, technically they wouldn't be quite the same since they did have their wives and they weren't quite okay. genetically and all that. Let me add to that. Specifically, where did Cain get his wife? Well, and that's when I would argue again, it was probably a, one of his sisters I mean, yeah, or one of his nieces or one of his... Yeah, well, he could have taken her with. I mean, we, he might have been married beforehand, for all we know. Okay. I mean, we don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't give enough information. <laughs> and so we're left to question. That's what we'll say. Not enough information. <laughs> Mate, we have theories. That's all we got. What is... Hesed. Oh, Hesed. Uh, uh, oh, that's yours. Okay. <laughs> Hesed. Um, and it's a Hebrew word that means God's um, loving kindness. It's his, it's one us, but it's okay. Um, but it, it means his, his, covenantal, his covenantal love with his people. It's a word that defines, okay, his patience, his kind, everything. All of this that he shares for his people um, in particular. That can't be translated adequately. Into it cannot. It can't be translated correctly. We, we try... We try to use loving kindness, but it's not, it doesn't encapsulate 
everything that comes with it. Um, and that's why I always just say hesed because it's the only word that can define it is a word that means all of it. Um, so it's all the good things that God dispose, dispose, or gives to his people. Um, all the love, all the kindness, the patience, all of these things, the righteousness, the justice, all of it in one word. So how do you do that in English? You can't. <laughs> so that's why I tend to say hesed. Yay. <laughs> Thanks, sir. That makes me feel good. It has been told, told that committing suicide is the impardonable sin. True? Question mark. So is suicide the unpardonable sin? You go first. No. Oh, I agree. No, it's not. Um, the, impar- the unpardonable sin is specifically geared toward blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Um, and that's different than suicide. Uh, and this reminds me of actually, Martin Luther again comes up. And I, I, every Halloween, I watch the movie Luther um, because it's wonderful. And every, it, because if you know, Halloween is the Reformation Day. That's when Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg door. And so I always celebrate Halloween as Reformation Day to remember, okay, Martin Luther did that. On that day, All Saints Day. Um, but something happens with Martin Luther in the movie, and I'm, I'm assuming it was historically accurate because Lutherans made it. They better be. Um, but in it, Martin Luther, because he's, a, he's a kind of a priest or a monk. He's a teacher at, at, uh, at Wittenberg. And one of his parishioners commits suicide, a young boy. And at the time, the, the parents are, what do we do? What do we do? We, we can't bury him. Because if he, he's condemned. So Martin Luther grabs a shovel. He tells him to get the boy. And he buries him right in the cemetery. And, say, and he asks a question. While he's digging, he says, Is this boy to be blamed any more than a man who, gets, um, who has a branch fall on him in a forest for the despair that's overcome him? Is, is this boy to blame, be blamed um, any more than a man who gets taken by robbers. I mean, grief is hard. Grief happens, is his point. And how can we blame someone when grief, deep despair, comes over somebody? And Luther said, no, we're going to bury him right here. And he took off his necklace and he, a, a crucifix and put it right with the boy and buried him right in, right in the cemetery. And so that's my argument, is that, you know what, it, we can never accept, accept it as a viable means for a Christian. But that is not the impardonable sin. It, it's, it's not, as far as I'm concerned. And I, I agree. And, and I think that, does that have a Catholic connotation, that, that uh, suicide is an impardonable sin? Okay. Um, Matthew, chapter 12, verse 30. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore... I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven, men, but blasphemy against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And whoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever shall speak against the Holy Spirit, and it shall not be, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. My understanding as to the unpardonable sin is rejection of Christ, disbelief. And uh, so, 
My answer, I agree with Pastor. Suicide's not the unpardonable sin. Next question. Which is the true Sabbath, Saturday or Sunday? Shabbat is on Saturday. <laughs> um, te- if you want to be technical, it was a Saturday. That's all. We Christians decided to distinguish themselves by having it on Sunday instead. Um, and it was, Paul says, even though it doesn't matter the day that you celebrate. And that's why Christians decided to just take it on Sunday instead of Saturday. Um, and you got to remember, too, I mean, in Acts, it's not until the end of Acts that Judaism and Christianity actually split. All throughout that whole time in Acts are actually very the same. Um, and you see it happen with Paul when uh, he, he's in one of the cities, and they decide, we're going to take you to court over this. And so they go to the governor, and the pagan governor's like, this is a problem for the Jews, not for outside of Judaism. This is your issue, not ours. And then the guy who came up with the idea got beaten really badly for it. Um, but anyway, the point is, is that Shabbat, Saturday, that is technically the, the day of Sabbath. Paul also says, though, it doesn't matter what day you celebrate so long as you have a Sabbath to begin with. Um, yep, I, I agree. We need, to be, we need to remember, in the Old Testament, God had created Israel... It is it is a nation religion, or okay, like Israel it is is uh, it, and it's all based on God's laws given to them. What the, what does the word Sabbath mean? Here's a trick question for you. It doesn't. What does Sabbath doesn't? Sabbath means rest, period. Now, um, and within the the original, uh, uh, well, original, the Ten Commandments, um, the seventh day of uh, that God had, on on the seventh day, he rested, okay? And so that has uh, the connotation of being the Sabbath day, rest day. And as we, um, you know, New Testament believers, uh, we, we need to remember Sabbath doesn't mean anything but rest. And Christians celebrate the first day of the week in anticipation of the future, um, whereas Sabbath is the last day of the week recognizing forgiveness of sins that you did last week. Make sense? No. I'm going to argue that. Um, I, think, I think one of the reasons why Christians also decided to kind of separate themselves from, from Judaism in this capacity is because Sunday is the day when Christ rose. Yeah. And for them, that is not something that happened the early church. It wasn't just Easter that they celebrated it. They celebrated it every Sunday. Yeah, every Sunday is a celebration. It's a celebration of Easter every Sunday. And so that's why, for them, that became you know, the day, because it was always a reminder for them that Christ the Lord has risen. Um, and you know, we, we hear it today in some liturgy. Um, the Lord be with you. May he also be with you. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And they say it every week. Um, and so that's, that's where I would say about that, too, is that historically that's, that's probably the reason why they chose, let's say, Sunday rather than Wednesday is because it was just a reminder of Easter. Next question. 
Does that help? Does that help? Does that answer the question? <laughs> Would you like to add a question or add a... Okay, I will go ahead and do the labor. Does oh. she say, I was on Saturday, so I can't have the baby, I got to go to Sunday, or Sunday I got to have the family. Who said that? I said, a woman's in, in labor for her to give birth. I said, she really works. It doesn't matter whether it's Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> I never heard that as far as childhood being a violation, or giving childbirth, or childbirth being a violation of a Sabbath rule. I didn't know. Look what they said. You're not supposed to work on the Sabbath day. But a woman in labor, she... She's working. That's on Sunday, she labors. I don't know if we... Th- i got to add this. I think uh, hold on, hold on. I have we have... I grew up in a, or went to school where there was a high population of Jewish people in our, probably a third of our population, now maybe 25% of our population were, were um, uh, black people, a third were probably Jewish, and the balance, what we would call just Caucasian. Anyway, I had a lot of good Jewish friends. And I will never forget, what, what I'm getting about, to, to reply to your comment, is the issue of Phariseeism. I had very good Jewish friends that loved to play cards. Particularly, Pinochle. Pinochle and Rummy. And one of the things when we keep playing cards, we could play cards on the Sabbath, but we couldn't keep score. So anyway, my point is, as far as as man begins to build laws and traditions to protect God's law, you know, as far as this thing of work, uh, it Phariseeism, boom. Uh, I think you, huh? Blue lick. Well, anyway, remember, uh, hey, if your ox is in a ditch and it's Sabbath, you get it out, right? What is the Holy Spirit? What does it do? Was it allowed in the Old Testament? First, I want to change the question to who <laughs> rather than what. Um, the, the Holy Spirit is a person in the Trinity. It is not as though it's an abstract thing. It is a person. Um, and so with that, the... The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He, in the Old Testament, he was used by God to, for prophecies. Um, he would do things in nature. Um, in the New Testament, he indwells believers. So that's the gift we are given, is the Holy Spirit himself. Um, and so, I mean, that's who, who he is, is he is part of the Trinity. He is, one of, he is God. Um, what he does is he, can, he keeps us, he watches over us, he protects us, he guides us forward. Uh, and I guess I could use an example that C.S. Lewis used when uh, describing prayer. And whenever you pray, he always argued that God is always with you in three ways. The first is the Holy Spirit is inside of you, urging you to pray. The second is Jesus Christ, who's interceding on your behalf. And the third is God the Father, who is in heaven, hearing you. 
Um, and that kind of makes prayer something really profound in my mind. I think it's beautiful to think about. But that's who the Holy Spirit is. And again, he is a person of the Trinity. He is with us if we believe in Christ and faith. What's the and third? Then what does he Yes, we're going to get into that. Okay, I'm not going to answer that question about being alluded to in the Old Testament because we're going to start Joel. And Joel is the Old Testament prophet who deals with it. (laughs) Joel's the one who answers it. So, yes. So you need to keep coming back to hear Joel to hear about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. And he is there, yeah. I am. (laughs) It is. It is like you got to come back for the for the <laughs> to hear about that. What are the last five books you read? What is the most helpful book you read in the past year? Last five books I've read. Well, nine marks, one of them. Total. Uh, now I haven't completed Total Truth. Um. John Clancy, the, uh, oh, oh, wow, what's that big fat book? Uh, are, 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 is this question the last five books of the Bible? I think it's just the last five books, period. Just like secular books. Yeah. Oh. Um, I'd have trouble answering five. I got two. Philosophical Foundations for the Christian Worldview. Uh, Paralandria by C.S. Lewis. Um, uh, what was the next one? Fool's Talk by Oz Guinness. Time and Eternity, a view or an understanding of God's relationship to time. And I just finished Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind. Um, now, out of all of those, which one is the one that was most helpful, I would say all of them. <laughs> uh, I think foundationally, Foundations was really, it's a heavy book, it's like that thick, and it took me a long time to get through it. Long time. Because uh, I only read these books on my breaks at work. <laughs> I don't read them any other time. Um, so that one was really important. Paralandria, though, reminded me, it was by C.S. Lewis, and it's a space trilogy, it reminded me how significant temptation is. Because we all go through temptation, and it was a beautiful book. If you've ever never read C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, please do. It's really good. Um, Oz Guinness Fool's Talk, it reminded me how Jesus, the way that he would communicate with people, was fascinating. Fascinating. Um, and then also, uh, Love the Lord Your God with All Your Mind. It reminded me that knowledge and the seeking of knowledge is a spiritual discipline. It is, it's like fasting. We should be doing it. We should be learning more about our God. We should be seeking to know more about our God. Um, and it's something that God calls us to do. He calls us to love him with all of our mind. That doesn't mean just to have not impure thoughts. It means to grow in knowledge. Um, and I, f- I, th- I found that one to be really beneficial to me personally. Okay. There's maybe... Five in here yet. Keep going. I mean, we're just right at noon. What is the greatest danger to the peace of the local church? What is the greatest danger to the purity of the local church? Hmm. The greatest danger to the peace of the local church. Well, in my 
understanding. Sin is is the greatest danger. And that sin can be outside of the walls of the church, and it certainly can be within the walls of the church. As far as the uh, greatest danger to the peace of the local church. And, huh? I was I was going to go with wolves. Wolves in sheep clothing. Wolves and 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 I mean it leads on sin. Obviously, that's wolves are those who keep on practicing sin. But yeah, Betsy's right in regards to that, and that's where I was going to go too. Is um, you know gossip, things like that, sin, any kind of sin. It's not just you know full blown. Okay, oh homosexuality. We all accept that that's a sin. It also goes on to other sins: um, gossip, slander. Uh, things, the way we talk to each other, things like that, that can really destroy the peace of a church because then we're all unsettled behind each other's backs. Um, and then when it comes to purity, again, wolves. <laughs> um, bad teaching. Bad teaching is one of the greatest dangers to purity because if you have bad teaching, then guess what? Your congregation is going to be filled with people who are unrepentant and unfaithful. Um, and because of that, you have a congregation who are filled with unbelievers. Unbelievers keep on sending the way that they want to, and they keep on living the lifestyle they want to. And there you go. You don't have any purity anymore in your church. So. You want to do this one? <laughs> Why'd you have to write this one down? Are we born with gifts from God? If so, are they brought out once we are saved? We're laughing because this came up in Sunday school. And it was our Sunday school. It basically became our Sunday school because it started right with this question, basically, David. Um, I don't, we, didn't, we didn't come, I don't think we, we didn't conclude anything. We came to, we don't know because, and the reason why is because, um, all right, let, let's say the, the argument was that, okay, people are born with gifts, but once they become a Christian, it actually becomes, comes into fruition, so it's always been with them, but they needed Christ in order to have it. But then the other side is that they don't actually have it to begin with. It's given to them by God. So which one is it? <laughs> and we said we don't know. Um, it could be either or. I lean towards the latter. I lean toward it being um, that they are given by God at salvation um, and then, yeah, people can have various gifts that they're using otherwise just because we're people and we have capacity and ability. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's a spiritual gift, I would say. Yeah, I really don't have anything to add. Uh, we... We, 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 good discussion, good topic. It stimulates your brain cells. Uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Um, chicken, if you're a believer. <laughs> yeah, the chicken. Um, but we, what we were, what we all are in agreement on is that spiritual gifts are given by God for the purpose of edifying the church, lifting up the church, building the church, and believers. So someone. Um, uh, cannot exercise a spiritual gift until they are a believer. Period. Even though they have an aptitude or a talent for, you know, be, you know, as an agnostic, that is not 
but tell you what, here's one other thing I always remember. There is only one thing that Satan cannot counterfeit. Anybody know what that is? In other words, my point is, can Satan counterfeit a giving of a gift? Or, um, well, yeah, can Satan counterfeit a gift? And I think everybody has to say yes. So there's only one thing that Satan cannot do, and what is that? What's that? You just ruined it, Mary. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's probably going to be a lot more coming out. So anyway, when you put it in that kind of a context, do not underestimate the ability and power of Satan. I mean, let's not give him too much credit, but let's not give him, you know, diminished credit. So the point of this, this gifts thing and recognizing what the, what the purpose of gifts is, don't, don't think for a moment that Satan can't provide a gift to one of... His servants, that is just a counterfeit to a gift of God. Point taken? Good answer. Oh, well, he, Satan cannot forgive sins. And, and along those lines, another one just popped into my mind. So there's two things. Satan cannot create life. Satan can't produce life. Only Christ, only God can. Who are your heroes? And why are they your heroes? I think this is for you. I was going to say <laughs> Captain Kirk. You know? and, and that is one of mine. I'll tell you one of my other ones. was Colonel Hogan. <laughs> Um, uh, uh, <sighs> I don't know, that's, that's hard. It's not like I would have a, that's, you know, if you were looking for a personality from the scriptures. That's, even then that's hard. That's hard. That's hard, I mean, regard, I mean, actually one that often gets not acknowledged enough is Jonathan. David, Jonathan, David. David's friend, Saul's son. If you notice, Jonathan would have made a really good king. Because he always does the same thing that David does, and that's gives glory to God for everything that happens. Everything. Um, and it makes sense why they're so good friends, because spiritually they were just connected with that way. Um, and so I really like Jonathan because of that. I like Barnabas um, from the scriptures because he was just, he was a servant. He was the first one to say, listen, I know that Paul had done all this, but I'm just, I still believe that God has done something miraculous in him. Um, uh, but you could go on. Tertullian, I love Tertullian. Um, Augustine, John Calvin, Martin Luther. Uh, I even like Zwingli every once in a while. Uh, Menno Simons, why not? Um, I like Wesleys. The Wesleys are good. I don't agree with them on a lot, but I like them. Um, I'm not going to go on. There's a lot. There's too many. What are your views of capital punishment? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one. That is a good one. Uh, me? Uh, I am an advocate of capital punishment. Um, I, I uh, do believe that our current structure of balances and counterbalances as far as appeals and so forth, due diligence, um, 
you know, all all uh, all of that should be exhausted. But yeah, I'm an advocate of capital punishment, and I do believe that capital punishment is a deterrent to crime. Uh, I concur. Uh, if you would ask me this when I was in college, I would have said no. Um, but I've grown since then. Uh, Romans 13, I think, is the biggest issue when it talks about how God gave the government the sword and the, they're supposed to use the sword um, as they're supposed to. And that can mean war, but it also can mean in regards to evildoers. It's, it's, let me use an example. Not that long ago, I want to say within the past five years, maybe it was ten years, I don't know. Over in Europe, there was this man who bombed a building and then went to an island and shot up 27 kids. Killed about 50 of them. Altogether, 50 people. Now, in this European country, the longest sentence that that man receives is 21 years. Not a life sentence, 21 years. That's it. I think that's unjust. <laughs> I think that's not justice, um, personally. And that's just my opinion. Like, uh, there are certain crimes that get committed that just deserve capital punishment. Um, there are people who are just evil. We have been them before, before Christ, of course. And that isn't to say that that person can't be changed or transformed, but it is the role of the government to keep its citizens safe and to allow such a person to go back out when he is clearly unrepentant. He doesn't care. He walks in, does the Heil Hitler sign every time he has a court hearing. The man doesn't care. So I would say from that perspective, yeah, I mean, I, there are just certain crimes. I don't think it, it has to be, obviously, like Mike was saying, the evidence has to be there. It has to be, you can't uh, fabricate evidence or anything like that, but it has to, I do believe it's possible, or it should be. And I also uh, agree, like within our constitutional republic of the United States, this is a state's rights issue. Um, different states have different positions on, on this. And so, um, you know, our, our federal government recognizes it as a state's rights issue. And, but I, I, uh, I am not opposed to capital punishment. Last question. Are you opposed to trial? Am I opposed to what? Yeah, well, that's part of the due diligence thing. The reason for there's appeals. That's why there is. Uh, you know, there has to be undeniable proof in my mind for that to happen. Yeah. Like it, it, you can't. It has to be it, obvious, so to the point that it, it is. It happened. It really did. Like, granted, things can get fabricated. You're right. It, yeah. If it happens. The jury should be at least aware of the fact that maybe this could have been tampered with. And they give them a less sentencing. But that's and and that's one of the one of the other good things about our system, you know, with as many flaws as uh, as as exist. You, every one of us here is eligible to be a juror. Yeah. And you may have been called for jury duty, you may not have, but uh, within you know a jury of your peers, uh, all of that. Uh, uh, that only comes to uh, define guilt or innocence, and then um, the judge is the one that provides a sentence. But that's, it's a state's rights issue. Last question. What is the best thing Christians can do in our current ailing society? 
Aliens? Let me see that. Let me see that. Let me make sure it says alien. Not alien. Not alien. Ailing. Ailing, as in it's sick. It's sick. Not our alien society. Woo, that would have been tough. Uh, No, you're right. Yeah, he he read it. I heard alien. Did everyone else hear alien? I heard alien. Anyway. Ailing society. Um, Preached the gospel is the best thing that Christians can do in our current ailing society. Um, The gospel undoes all the works of the devil. All of it. That includes the corruption in societies. Uh, And that's what we read in 1 John when we were going over. I want to say it was 1 John 3. That Christ undoes the work of the devil. Um, And so the best thing we can do is just be faithful to the gospel because that's the only time that a society can really see change. Um, and that means being faithful, too, in regards to how we talk about the gospel. Or it means how we talk to other people, uh, how it understands our politics, how we understand um, issues that arise, abortion, all these things. Uh, it requires us to simply be faithful to what God has taught us and what we're supposed to do. Um, but, yeah, that's, uh, just be faithful is what I would say. Yeah, I, I agree. I, faithful was going to be the word I uh, would hang on. Uh, uh, be faithful to God in His Word. Trust that God knows. Hey, hey, by the way, you know, it's not like God's caught off guard that, hey, your society's in trouble. And there's no problem that's too big for Him to to deal with. Part of one, of, and I think I find myself this way, one of our problems it's it's like, God, this is bad down here. Why don't you do something? Oh, well, if you're thinking like that, maybe it begins with you. He has done something. <laughs> that's what I would say, is that he has done something. Um, it is Christ. Um, that's the thing. So, yeah, I... It, the best thing that we can do as Christians is to continue to be a salt and light in the world. And it's hard to do because we've always been against the world. That's how it has always been with Christians. Christ promised us in John 15, I think it was 15, you know, the world's going to hate you because it hated me first. Um, yeah. Um, and, and, that, and that's right, Mary. I mean, what we have to do is love the world, but we have to do it in such a way that it's defined properly. 1 Corinthians 13 is how we define what love is. Like acceptance, for example. Um, Some people will say, okay, the Christians can do in our current ailing society is to just accept everyone as they are. Well, Jesus didn't accept people as they were. He rejected the Pharisees when they were unrepentant. He rejected those who were unfaithful. Um, And so what we need to understand is that love is not synonymous with acceptance, to love someone correctly is to be there with them, to help them out of the pit, to walk with them, to talk with them, to share the gospel with them, to um, say, okay, you know what? God would say that this is sin in your life. That's loving. It's loving to do these things. And that's what we're called to do with each other and with the world around us. All right. Yeah, yeah. You shouldn't just sit back and say, God is in control. Correct. Well, I mean, you can not, but just don't sit back. Don't sit back is what I would say. You're right. Say God is in control 
go out and do it. Like, go out and, and live a life that is pleasing to him. And part of that is to, is to engage, to engage the world. We can't sit back in our fortress. Uh, this is something that we've done, fundamentalists did in the 1950s and 60s, is that when we saw the world going in the place it was going, they built up walls and said, okay, we're going to hide behind our walls, we're going to keep what we have here, and then we're not going to engage the culture. Now where are we? In a culture which is far more radicalized, it's far more dark, much darker, than it was in the 60s. Um, You know, where sexual immorality is celebrated. It's not condemned. Where sin overall is celebrated and not condemned. And it's because, in my honest opinion, they did the wrong thing. They stopped engaging. They stopped going out into the world, and they stopped saying, okay, you know what, there's God exists, that uh, Christ exists, that he rose from the dead, it's historical. They stopped arguing against everything that was happening. And when they stopped doing that, the world turns to what it does. But you're not being progressive. (laughs) Hey, hey now, hey now. <laughs> no, exactly though. And that's what we're going to experience. You know what? They're going to say, you're intolerant. Well, that's that is the word. You're intolerant, you're racist, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're homophobic. You're all these things. That's what they're going to say to us every time. Guess what? In the first century, they heard the same exact arguments. The apostles heard all these arguments before, and guess what? They were simply faithful, and it cost them their lives. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to stand up in society and say, you know what? I'm going to follow Christ no matter the cost, even if it means the society hates me, even if it means that the world around me hates me. But again, that's when we have to recognize love. If we really love the world, we'll step up and we'll stand and we'll speak, Um, and we'll be gracious to the world, despite it. Uh, and I would say that is progress. <laughs> that is true progress, but that's me. Obviously, they'll say it's not. Um, and then when it comes to intolerance and the tolerance thing, I just want to say this. You know what? This is what they say. They say that we're intolerant because of our views. They don't realize that by saying that to us, they're being intolerant. So it's, it's a completely messed up system. It doesn't work at all. Because their philosophy of tolerance leads to intolerance. If they were really tolerant of everybody, they would be tolerant of us too. But they're not. They have, they have a belief, they have an understanding of society, and they're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And all we can do is say, no, this is another view. It's a better view. Let's go ahead and talk about it. That's what we can do. We can just talk. And if they don't want to listen, they don't want to listen, but at least we were faithful. So. That was our last question. Okay. Uh, I, don't have I don't have anything to add. Are any other questions before we conclude today? No, I think everyone's tired. Everyone's ready? Okay. Let us go to Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you again for your wisdom. We thank you for knowledge of you and for your great love that you have given to us through your son, Jesus Christ. We ask that we would continue to dwell on this, that we would continue to love you with all of our minds that we would continue to seek to know you, to desire to um, grow further into the knowledge and into the wisdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, 
in the Spirit, and in the Father. We thank you again for all that you have done, and we ask again for your blessing. In your son's name we pray. Amen.